This week, we're recording live from RSA Conference 2020. We're in Broadcast Alley, Moscone West. We're going to do two interview segments today. Our first interview segment is going to be with Rob Gerziev. He's the CEO at Psycognito, and we're going to talk about shadow risk elimination. In our second segment, we have an analyst, principal analyst from Forrester, Jain and Budge, coming talk about CISO leadership, culture, and the evolving role of the CISO. All that and more on Business Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. With over half of enterprise security budgets going towards detection and response in 2020, the challenge is investing in solutions that can scale, migrate, and adapt with your business. Cloud-native security solutions from ExtraHop are purpose-built to help your team respond to threats across the hybrid attack surface. Everywhere your enterprise exists today and wherever it goes tomorrow, ExtraHop is there to secure it. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. This is Business Security Weekly, episode number 164. We're recording on February 25th, 2020. We are at RSA Conference, live in Broadcast Alley. Joining me as my co-host is Mr. Paul Asadorian. Hey, it's good to be here, man. We're doing the first live BSW show. I know, it's weird. It doesn't feel like BSW. I know, it doesn't. It just doesn't. It, we do it on Mondays. It's Normally Tuesday. it's Monday, and yeah. it's on a specific set. with the right. yeah, it's, it's uh, But we are recording live. Uh, join us for this interview segment. Rob Gerziev, you're the CEO at Psycognito. I have a nice little uh, bio here. I, I wanted to read quickly because uh, you, you'll know why I do this in a second. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, You've uh, a development of offensive security solutions for both private sector and intelligence agencies. Prior to founding Psycognito, you were director of offensive security and head of R&D at C4 Security, which is uh, acquired by Elbit Systems, which I, a company I know, uh, and the CTO of the product development of the 8200 Israeli Intelligence Corps. Of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Business Security Weekly. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. It's nice to have you. Yes. Um, we had an a interesting uh, discussion uh, prior to kind of our prep call. And, you know, I went out to the website and, and was preparing for this. And I'm a big believer in category definition. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a, a, a really unique way on how I try to help companies build kind of what their category is. Uh, in, in this one is, was interesting. I, I, you call it shadow risk elimination, right. which I think is an interesting category. Uh, but let's break into it first. What do you mean by shadow risk first? Mm -hmm. So shadow risk is these unknown unknowns in servers, applications, data, uh, 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 all around the place. Uh, partners, subsidiaries, and your own assets that attackers can actually see, they may be able to exploit it. Yet, on the other hand, most security teams are unaware of 100% of their attack surface. We're actually seeing they're aware of 30 to 70% of it. So one of the biggest problems today, you know, if you're investing $50 million in all of these firewalls and endpoint protection uh, solutions, cloud security, you're mostly investing it uh, in 70% tops mm -hmm. of, your, of wh what you actually want to protect. Right. And so what I think you mean by this is there is a lot of external assets that mm -hmm. you may not 
know you have. Uh, the marketing team might have spun up a, a website for some reason, uh, and it's hosted in some obscure place that you don't know about, and they do that on a periodic basis. And, and what's happening is you have this growth of these assets that are actually tied back to your business, but you don't necessarily know they're there or where they are. Exactly. I mean, attackers win most of the time when they target large organizations and not only large organizations because they're looking for the path of least resistance. So by definition, they will look for that 30 to 70% of the attack surface that is unprotected and unmonitored. And what we're trying to do is to provide the capabilities to, uh, to the security team to continuously monitor everything that they have and their whole IT ecosystem from the attacker's point of view. And if you can tell the security team what are these five or 10 critical attack vectors that attackers will discover and will exploit as soon as they see them, that's an amazing investment to make. And I'm surprised how many organizations don't do this. And um, you know, I think when you said from an attacker's perspective, that's super important to this discussion, right? Because internally inside the network, well, inside the network, right? right. But on the assets that I have within the walls of my building, there are some, now not everyone does this, but there are some great ways to figure out what you have, sure. all that, right? DHCP, we talked with, you know, extra hop and, and all these other methods looking yep. at logs and broadcast traffic. But when you now look at it from the attacker's perspective, right. you're looking at co it's a completely different process. And even just basic things I've found in the past yield great results. So I want to go through the entire domain. I want to do subdomain brute forcing, right? I want to find every host name that could possibly exist. Right. I want to visit that website and I want to take a screenshot of it. Like that's always step one usually on an on a external pen test. Right. It's usually step one on a bug bounty program. Right. And oftentimes you find exactly what you're talking about, that in, in those assets, there's something that no one's paying attention to or doesn't has no idea it's exposed to the Yeah, internet. and it gets even much more complex because what about this partner that has this Cisco ASA, mm -hmm. this gateway, and it has your company logo and your company name in the authentication page, maybe even some of your um, internal network's names mm. in this nice drop-down list, so attackers can easily find it and maybe exploit it. It may lead to your internal network, yet if you're the average or most security teams, you have no way to know that this company even has any access to your company, to your internal networks. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, how do you understand what attackers actually see, especially in the modern IT ecosystem where it has exponentially expanded over the last decade? Yeah, and mm -hmm. third-party management is hard enough when we know who our vendors are and we try to put them through a security assessment, because I spent years doing this for one mm -hmm. of the large national banks, it's a hard problem. But when you think about fourth and fifth party risk, you're thinking about the outsourcer, the outsourcer, the outsourcer. Right. It's very hard for an organization to understand the potential risk posed by a concentration of fourth and fifth party entities like and Amazon Web Services, right? Because totally. a lot of these services could be hosted in Amazon. So that interrelationship of your third, fourth, fifth party relationship starts to show concentration of where are potential weak spots or, or risk areas that you don't necessarily know because your contract is with this vendor <laughs> and they're, right. right? So that's a really hard challenge. Totally. And if, if you, you're using the 20 years old data model that 
port scanner and port scanners and vulnerability scanners have built over the years, you're really looking at a big, huge list of IP addresses or IP ranges and domain names, but it's really uh, uh, one-dimensional. And what we've learned is that you have to leverage uh, mathematical graphs to, to, to be able to, to draw these connections between this SaaS solution that your third party is using that still has something to do with you. It may have your uh, company logo. It may allow uh, attackers and customers, of course, or partners to connect to some of your data and internal applications. So once you're there, once you see, see these attack vectors, it's obvious that you have this problem. Yet, if, if you're only looking at vulnerability scanners, 500 pages PDF reports, you don't really have the ability to understand what attackers see. So, so it's it's almost yeah. like you're finding the artifacts of your organization, <laughs> not necessarily my direct assets, in but many cases, artifacts that artifacts. are hanging. We out. we are seeing even mainframes that are sometimes exposed mm -hmm. and critical databases. But for example, these multi-billion-dollars companies just a week ago had these exposed Confluence. Uh, mm -hmm. solution. It's a, mm -hmm. Atlassian is a huge company, very yeah. successful one, and they have misconfigured their Okta solution, another great company. But misconfigurations happen. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have the business context of this is a confluence server, this data is not supposed to be exposed to the whole internet, mm -hmm. then you're not able to process hundreds of thousands, or if not millions, of these kind of instances. And, and you have to leverage technology. Right. Yeah. So how do, how do you? It's interesting because when you spin up SaaS solutions, you often put your company name dot Atlassian right. dot com, <laughs> right? And and right. every uh, are you searching for those specific yes. things? Right. We're mapping oh, that's awesome. logos. We're looking for mm -hmm. keywords. We're using NLP to extract these entities. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. We're able to understand that this subdomain or this string in this SSL certificate means IT department mm -hmm. or marketing. And we're able to automatically classify assets to these business units mm -hmm. or these subsidiaries and then assign a, a security grade to these uh, sub-organizations and not oh, only to the organization as a whole. That's For really... So how do you do the... Like, how do you know what AWS infrastructure someone may have spun up? And that's a hard problem that people For deal sure. with today. For yeah. sure. It's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge. Um, but what we're doing is leveraging things like certificates is the easy part, yeah, but right. we're looking at links from other machines. Uh, we're looking at uh, pieces of content within some of the services that you can communicate with. Mm -hmm. In some cases and on some services and IS solutions, you can actually look at usernames mm -hmm. that are related to these assets. Mm. Oh, which is an extremely powerful tool mm -hmm. uh, uh, to understand, hey, I found this one server on AWS. This service is exposing this string that is strongly related to this company. This whole IP range or a bunch of assets are owned by this user. And then you find these other strings or certificates mm -hmm. or logos that are, again, strongly connected to this company. And that ties you with this other server or uh, uh, subsidiary, mm -hmm. for example. Right. That's awesome. That's more exhaustive than, you know, my initial example. I'm glad you <laughs> dug into all of right, those right. Yeah. details because most people, most organizations, I should say, don't even do the first example where they're basically right. looking at all their IP ranges and looking at all their domains and subdomains and trying to see what's out there. That's right. like step zero. Right. <laughs> what That's just totally described, true. Yes. Right? And then, but building on that, 
you can find my artifacts and bits of infrastructure scattered across the internet. Yeah, th that is totally true. Most companies only understand, you know, we have these five IP ranges while mm -hmm. they actually have 10 IP ranges mm -hmm. and they're not even thinking or really don't have the resources to look at these uh, subsidiaries and partners' assets where, by the way, one of the biggest problems today is that the security rating solutions don't tell you how Salesforce affects your security posture. Mm -hmm. You get this number, but they don't tell you, here are the, t the couple of instances where you have data and one of which is completely exposed or exploitable. Mm -hmm. That's what you really want to know if you're a security team. Now, so Rob, what's that I'm relationship? So right? I was just going to say, for our audience, um, you mentioned images, right? And how mm -hmm. if you had our company logo, right. I just for our audience, I wanted Rob to describe that you can basically fingerprint that image usage. Right. There was a, a website that I use, TinEye is, mm -hmm. is yep. one of them, yep. but I'm sure you've really built uh, much right. something much so more. So TinEye was, was in... Uh, amazing 10 years ago mm -hmm. around 10 years ago yeah. now you have even more uh, impressive uh, open source technologies and mm -hmm. not only and visuals is one element that helps us both to discover assets mm -hmm. but also understand their business context mm -hmm. for example say you're the CISO or CIO and you want to understand where are my payment mechanisms are they exposed and what kind of financial data am I exposing through these kind of mm -hmm. mechanisms? That's an important question. But if you're using a port scanner or a vulnerability scanner, all you're really looking at is tons of IPs, which don't tell you a lot. Mm -hmm. And say that you have this uh, in, uh, critical encryption problem. Thousands of your assets may have them. But you're really, you're really caring about these couple of assets that are, you know, your payment mechanism and one of your main applications. And we're using uh, visuals to even classify that. So, for example, if you have Visa and MasterCard logos, mm -hmm. and then you have these few keywords like payment mechanisms, I mean, payment. Right. Uh, Along uh, with your logo. Right. To, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. It, it's very straightforward, and if you were an attacker <laughs> and you were there, it was you so were, obvious. It, it, you, <laughs> you weren't even not, uh, noticing your, that you were thinking. Right. It's so obvious. Now, there's also, um, and I remember doing this, and I don't remember all the details, there's an uh, SSL, like a certificate chain that you can basically pull. Can you just describe that for like our sure. C-level audience sure. to understand, like through SSL and certificates, how you're able to identify infrastructure and artifacts. Right. So SSL certificates are required for running uh, a TLS, essentially. You cannot encrypt your communication with anyone if you're not using SSL certificates. And building these SSL certificates is usually under the IT department, mm -hmm. which is usually unaware of the... Um, the fact they're essentially building leads for attackers. So what they would do is use the same SSL certificate for 40 applications or 40 environments. Mm -hmm. And then if you find, when you will, find the main application of this company, you may also discover these 39 other applications and environments. Now you have found potentially 39 new IP ranges, tons mm -hmm. of keywords, mm -hmm. right. more visuals and if you're building a mathematical graph you're also um enforcing and enhancing the scores of everything else mm -hmm. and, and, and that's because the uh based on one ssl certificate you can basically work backwards to all of the sites that are using it and that information or is many of them and it's public knowledge right, right. Yeah. yeah it's public because mm -hmm. uh, you have to put in when you 
apply for an SSL certificate, like the company name. There's a lot of data exactly. that goes in because you have to be validated right. mm -hmm. before that certificate is right. issued. So part of the artifact of requesting the SSL certificate is giving a lot of this information, like company name, address, blah, yes. blah, blah, and because they have to validate you. And the fun part is that once you have, once you map like we do, the three and a half billion servers and devices connected to the internet, you have a database of all of these certificates, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. now you can reverse search. And every time you find a relevant keyword or a company name that is related to this company, you can search and find all of these certificates related to them. Now we have, you have found a billion, well, one million assets that are potentially Mm -hmm. relevant to that company mm -hmm. and based on that mathematical graph uh, 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 architecture you're able to score how related they are to the company or whether they are owned by the company oh interesting oh yeah so it's like a scoring thing like this yes. server is probably belongs to you because it has other artifacts that link to other servers that i know are exactly yeah, yeah, you yeah, have your logo there these mm -hmm. keywords your ssl certificate and so forth you sometimes have just some of them and then that's a maybe Right. But when you're dealing with millions of assets and companies, Fortune 100 companies, mm -hmm. yet not only, um, that's a huge challenge. And port scanning tools or, or scanners will only allow you to search for specific certificates. Or if you look for this company name, you'll see 500 uh, certificates. Now what? Right? You're not, right. That, that does not solve any business problem. Again, the business problem, the way we see it is understanding how attackers see my organization as a whole and understanding what's the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. That's where you want to invest your energy in. And you have to do all that, uh, unfortunately, maybe in a sense, uh, uh, for that goal. And you've had this entire conversation without saying AI or machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true, yeah. Well, but it is, I, I have mean, mentioned such elements. And it, yeah, NLP, it, yeah, natural yeah. language processing, right. which is a big one, right? Oh, right. okay. So I, yeah, and, and yeah. That's a technique. See, this is no, the way I, you're I supposed the, to talk about. I missed the about. NLP uh, yeah, comment. He, he yeah. said NLP, which is not natural language processing, which right. is one of the techniques. In, but that's the way you should describe it. <laughs> I not, agree. Not just I agree. throwing right. those terms out there. But yeah, it's yeah. not black magic. But again, you have also algorithms that uh, find uh, or, or pro provide or build scores of mm. what kind of a machine is it based on exposed software, mm -hmm. certain keywords, uh, uh, related links. For example, if you have the subdomain of DR and then you have seen uh, certain uh, fingerprints or certain strings mm -hmm. In the SSL certificate, you can tell the security team, this may be your disaster recovery environment. Mm, because yes. people think in patterns. Mm -hmm. And the IT team does so too. So you, based on these patterns, you can find many assets and also understand their business context right. without even talking to the security team. Because it's AD-backup, right. for example. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. that's, that's and in 99% of the cases, you'll be correct. And there are few packets that are actually sent to the organization's infrastructure, right? Right. I mean, there's not, I mean, probably some, but not a whole lot. Right. right. So uh, we, we do what we have. It's mostly what we call handshakes and we don't exploit anything. Right. And one interesting fact is that we're distributing these scans over tens of thousands of dynamic IP addresses. And we also run these scans very slowly. And, a, it allows us to bypass some CDNs and web application firewalls mm -hmm. that block scanners 
and pen testers open source tools that they run mm -hmm. from their laptop. Yep. Uh, but it also allows us uh, uh, to get much more accurate results when you compare it with any other technology. Mm -hmm. Oh, so are you making a copy of the, the in or extracting data from the internet and then storing that in a database and then querying uh, the database? Only unsensitive data, okay. uh, but we do regarding the, the business context of the assets. If mm -hmm. we find, uh, say, an API key or a credential, we don't save the credentials. Mm -hmm. we, we simply tag that asset as one that is exposing this kind of data. We don't want to save any uh, Any of that sensitive data, right? Yeah, because that never happens. And so you're constantly <laughs> scanning the internet for change because this stuff is changing constantly, right? Right. So you're d these these uh, scans are constantly happening, populating the database. So as you see new assets for your customer, so if I'm a brand new customer, my data is probably already there. Right. 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 The raw data, yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't run the attack simulation on non-customers, uh, uh, but we do have raw data on every organization and the. Uh, proof of concept process is extremely straightforward. Mm. Uh, as people who spent years at intelligence agencies, we were not taught what sales and marketing <laughs> are. <laughs> so we simply onboard the customer, the security team, to the SaaS platform, and we tell them, here's your attack surface data. Yeah. Uh, you told us you believe you have 50,000 exposed assets. It, it looks like you have half a million of them, or 300,000. So and awesome. here are some specific examples that we would like to drill down into and see uh, what you think about them. And when you see this mainframe exposing your financial data or these 20 databases of which a couple are exposing this kind of data, it's pretty obvious that you had no visibility to what's going on. I, I, and I've said this before, every organization should have this. I, and I don't understand why you wouldn't, because it's yeah. such a, a low touch point right and it's it's very it's all real data that's exposed right. and it's really accurate low false positive right like right. when you that's my asset right, right. there's no no mistaking it right, right. Well, yeah when i told my co-founder uh, dima potakin that we should do this two and a half years ago he mm -hmm. told me rob there's no chance that nobody is doing it but the fact is that as soon as you start mm. running the discovery process and you try to automate it very quickly you'll see that you're hitting 90% false positives. If you don't have the right data model, if you don't build this as a mathematical graph, if you don't build these algorithms that mm. take all of these strings and all of these uh, technical fingerprints uh, and others to, to understand what's actually related to the company and, and so forth. So that's a huge uh, moat or a challenge, in other words, uh, to even get into this kind of, of a business. I agree. Trying to do this yourself is really fun. Um, in, <laughs> right, and you right. get and you get certain pockets that right. are that are fun, and like you said, open source tools. But very quickly, you know, your IP address may be banned, right. and now I've got to stand it up outside of my organization. I've got to rotate through IP addresses. So you use I Lambda, would, yeah, <laughs> Lambda or API Gateway, right? But uh, I would rather have my security team focused on protecting my assets and leave this heavy lifting to folks like you and just provide me with the data. I want my team focused on closing down all right. of these exposures not building out entire sets of infrastructure. Right. To yeah, and especially yeah. if you build uh, these kind of technologies as tools and not as 
platform that mm -hmm. platforms that solve business problems, mm -hmm. you end up using 15 different tools. <laughs> you you'll spend millions of dollars, and you'll have 15 threat hunters playing with all of these tools and more attack surface. Right, <laughs> that's right? true. We're seeing <laughs> even deception solutions yeah. and uh, uh, SIEM solutions and uh, and others being the path of least resistance mm -hmm. of certain companies, mm -hmm. which. That's awesome. That's great. So if people want to learn more, I'm yeah. sorry, were you ready to say? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, that's what I was going to say. Oh, okay, good. Where if, did you, where did you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, we're, we're in sync. So if anybody wants to learn more, they can uh, email you at contact at psychognito.com. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm assuming you, you can set them up for a, a proof of concept or something. Of course, we're very that. happy to do that with any interested customer. It's, it, and it's so, like, we talk about the time to value. It's probably like minutes in right. your case. Right. In many you cases, the data, yes. just, 20 <laughs> minutes into the first meeting, even if we do it via Zoom, mm -hmm. which we do in many cases with uh, smaller customers, you're seeing true value and you can easily compare what you're seeing with what these scanners or pen testers have right. done yeah. Yeah. for you. Yeah, I think the value is instantaneous. As it's soon awesome. as you put in your company stuff, because all the raw data is there, the ability to contextualize it, visualize it very quickly, uh, time to value has got to be great yeah, with this kind of solution. Awesome. Thank yep. you, Rob, for joining us. Thank this you so guys. much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. We're going to take a quick break and then have our second interview with Gina Budge from Forrest. Most breaches are caused by exploiting oversights in basic cybersecurity fundamentals, but complex hybrid multi-cloud infrastructures make cybersecurity hygiene challenging. Red Seal can help. It shows you what's on your network, how it's connected, and the associated risk across public cloud, private cloud, and physical environments. With Red Seal, you'll get control of your cybersecurity fundamentals so you can protect your organization from the inevitable attack vectors and reduce your cyber risk. For more information, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Red Seal. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian. We're going to have our second interview in Broadcast Alley at RSA Conference 2020. Janae Budge leads uh, Forrester's offerings for security and risk professionals in Asia Pacific. She covers research on the role of the CISO, specializing in topics related to CISO leadership skills, managing politics, security strategy, budgets, and presenting to the board. Janan, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We, when we got the email, I, I went to Paul and I said, I think it would be interesting to bring some of the analysts that are out here onto the show. We, we do meet with some of them. Uh, Sandy Carielli uh, was yep. on Application Security Weekly because she covers the AppSec space. Yep. And when I got the profiles, I'm like, I, I, I want Janan on. I want to talk CISO. Awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. So oh that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So let me preface something. Um, and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, and then we can kind of go into some of the different aspects. In 2015, Paul and I worked together at Tenable, and uh, I ran strategy, and, and one of the things that the, the founders asked me at the time was, build our, our five-year strategy plan. 
And when I did that, I, I looked at not only technology, but I looked at the people side, like what roles were going to shift and change. And back then, I made some pretty interesting um, predictions that the, the, the role of the CISO was going to change dramatically from an operational role more to a governance role. And, and my philosophy behind that is, is we outsource more uh, of our applications to the cloud and cloud providers were bringing certain security tools. Governance became a driving force behind the CISO role and managing third-party relationships and a lot of other things. I'm curious, how close was I? Look, you know, it's really interesting. We wrote a similar report at Forrester. I'm trying to remember the year. I think it was around 2014. My colleague, Andrew Rose, wrote it and it won some awards. And it was actually around the move of the CISO from, operationals to, from operational to governance. And it was awesome. I love that report. It was like move, move on or face extinction or something mm. really quite controversial. So, love the concept. However, I have matured and I think the industry has matured a little bit over that very short period of time. I've been in security for 20 years and I remember when I first entered the profession, you could either be a pen tester or a policy person. CISOs did not really mm. exist 20 years ago, but I know right. we don't mm. want to go back for that long. 2010, I was with Forrester leading our leadership board for CISOs globally. And I had an image of CISOs being either operational or governance or technical and non-technical. And I feel like that's become really unhelpful. Um, and it's become unhelpful for a number of reasons. I just think the span of the size of role is so huge at the moment and it depends on so many different things. Um, how much attention is your organization paying to cybersecurity, mm -hmm. the funding that you have, and the type of person that you are. So we've just recently published research that, thank goodness, is moving us away from that technical, non-technical operational governance. We've identified six types of CISOs. Uh, to make it a little bit, you know, let's let's get real about this. This is such a complex topic. You've got transformational CISOs, you've got uh, post-breach CISOs, you've got uh, operational CISOs that love solving technical problems. They love solving problems full stop. You've got the compliance guru, uh, you've got the customer-facing evangelist, mm -hmm. and none of them mm -hmm. are as black and white, at least in my mind, as technical or non-technical. And you may have two of those in your organization or all six, right? It, there's no, we shouldn't limit our organizations to say you have to have one CISO and that's it. No, that's all you get. absolutely. And if you're a CISO, and I think, you know, one of the other things I'm doing a lot of research on is the topic of burnout mm. uh, and stress for CISOs. Mm -hmm. And I think what tends to happen at the moment is CISOs will go into an organization having one personality. So, for example, for myself, when I was a practitioner, I'm very much a transformational CISO. You take me to an organization that actually does not want a transformation, guess what happens? Yeah. You become exhausted, the amount of fatigue, and I see it over and over again. And when you look at some of the data that's coming out of the tenure of the CISO being 26 months at the moment, I think it's a huge part of it. I think we are placing ourselves in the wrong organizations. We're not... Mm -hmm. We, we don't have that self-awareness. So you bring up a really interesting point, both for organizations and the CISOs themselves, mm -hmm. in that during the interview process, you really need to figure yes. out this alignment of what kind of CISO am I and what kind of CISO is this organization looking for to really see if there is a match for success. Because with six different profiles, um, 
you're going to have varying degrees of what organizations are looking for. And if you find a mismatch, then that burnout's going to happen faster. That, mm -hmm. that, tran that, that transition to another job is going to continue to happen faster. Correct. It's not a win-win situation. And there are certain questions that we all need to be asking in the interviews of the organization, but of ourselves. I think one of the big questions sizes need to be, or, or when... If you're someone who's considering becoming a sizer, for example, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I ready to be a leader? Because guess what? It's a leadership role. This mm -hmm. is no longer, regardless of what type of sizer, regardless of whether mm. you agree with my six types or not, you're a sizer, you are a leader, you are a leader of people, you're a leader of change within organizations. This is not a security technician. Um, I, we've recently started asking a question in our data of what do you do as a SISO during your day? What does your day consist of? 13% only is dedicated to security and operational tasks. I, I, I feel very strongly in my prediction is that not just the CISO role, but security in general mm. will get less operational over time. We've, and I've been a security practitioner for over 20 years, and especially early on, and even today in certain circumstances, most circumstances, security has to be operational and highly technical and hands-on. But I think a much better approach is to have the other areas of the organization doing the operations with security in mind. Security then becomes more of a research and advisory role. And, yeah. But I also think that CISOs need to understand the operational aspects of the business yeah. and the compliance and the policy, right, and all of that. But I think the practitioners in security need to be less operational. Do you agree that that's a better place to move towards? I think, I think we absolutely need to have a little bit of both. I think for so long, unfortunately, we've neglected the human side. Mm -hmm. We have neglected... The, the non-operational side, I don't think that's sustainable. It hasn't been sustainable. It has not helped us. Mm -hmm. uh, we, need, uh, we need champions through the organizations to, put through, to push through security in, uh, initiatives. We also need that culture of security. I do a lot of research mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, broadly speaking, awareness, behavior, and culture, but I refuse to limit that to awareness and training. We're talking about actual culture change where people... Uh, will want to do exactly what you're suggesting, which is to actually either do parts of security themselves or champion or support the security teams. Bill, Gates, Bill Gates' email, right, that many years ago when he was like, if you are in the code and you find a security hole, you are to stop everything you're doing and address, address that, right? Yeah. That was a, in that one email, Bill Gates changed the culture of Microsoft, yeah. right? And we've seen great improvement. I mean, no software company is perfect, right? Yeah. But we've seen great improvements. Yeah. And it, to your point, it was a change of culture. It mm -hmm. wasn't that they hired more CISOs, more technical CISOs, right. or more security More people. security folks. Yeah. It was a cultural change. Yeah, cyber influence. I mean, in Australia, we've got a huge uh, security influence and trust community, and cyber influence is becoming a function mm -hmm. within organizations to do exactly some of the things that you're suggesting. Um, and one of the things that I'm seeing and loving at the moment is extending uh, actually uh, cybersecurity culture outside of organizations. So to people's homes, to mm. customers, to our customers, uh, help them with some of their security issues. That is going to put the SISO in a whole new light because as we know, you know, if we're talking about predictions, our predictions for 2020 for cybersecurity, now it's become personal. Now cybersecurity is not just impacting 
organizations it's impacting mm. all of us mm. our homes our families it's impacting society and if you are going to be a modern day forward thinking sizo that's how you've got to think and you've got to you've got the responsibility uh for all of society actually so how do you do that mm -hmm. how do you do that if mm. all you're doing is operational no that right, cultural right. conversation is huge yeah. it's so exciting and, and uh, you know, we were talking security awareness a little bit because I know part of your coverage. Uh, we had an interesting interview a few weeks back that for security awareness programs to work, they have to attach to the heart, not the head. The hearts and minds. Right. Mm -hmm. it yeah. would, it, that it has to be personal and you have to have an appreciation because it has an impact to you as a person, which you were just describing. And then how can CISOs around the world really embrace how do you create security appreciation in that that kind of personal impact to security not only at your employees maybe your customers as well but that makes the role and the job probably a lot easier if we had more of that appreciation for the impact oh to the person oh my god i mean i mean, how do you, how do you get budget for security how do you talk to boards about cybersecurity? I know I've been to so many conferences and so many talks on, well, these are the metrics that you present to the board members. Scrap all of that I say. I actually uh, did some research, how to talk to boards about cybersecurity, but I interviewed board members. Mm. And the gap between what board members think of security, uh, what they want to know about cybersecurity, and what we give them, it, it, it's quite unbelievable. And one of the things is you've got to you've got to humanize this conversation as well as all conversations about security, mm. and you do that exactly what you said. You make it you make it personal. You create uh, engaging situations, uh, experiences for those board members. Uh, I know from my experience and from talking to hundreds of sizes around the world, once you build that relationship, that hearts and minds engagement, budget comes. It's not about the metrics. It's not, not, not to dismiss that. Right. But they are part of the equation. But you've, you've got to go there. You've got it to seems like we're missing that part of the equation yeah. that's relating to people. To in, people in and way. politics yeah. and understanding mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, insecurity. Sorry, I, you, once you get me started, I'm not going to stop. Uh, so that's please fine. feel no, we're, free. We're good for a, another good 20 minutes. So yeah. Just keep going. I mean, feel free. <laughs> feel free to interrupt. But it, this is so big for me. I wrote this research on... Uh, how CISOs manage politics within organizations. And for me, this was cathartic. This was based on my prior experiences and how many gray hairs I got uh, just purely from the shock of, oh my God, my job now is to navigate my way around this organization, first and foremost, uh, organizations. And uh, security people, CISOs, uh, uh, we are not comfortable with the word politics. Mm. We think it's dirty. It's a dirty word because of what we see on television. It's not our personalities. It's not our training. But actually, it's a part of life. And, you know, I started re uh, interviewing CEOs and CROs. And they were like, politics is your biggest opportunity. Mm. You know, politics is such a positive thing. And they, it, it, it's such a game changer if you can start thinking of yourself as a leader. Mm. Well, and I, I think... What in our research and doing this show, in speaking of politics, it, it also kind of speaks to empathy, right? Mm. I think to be successful in the political battle, if you will, at or an organization, you have to have a tremendous amount of empathy, and you're not going to yeah. get things done as a CISO or really any other leadership position if you don't have that, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and through my interviews and experience, that came out so strongly. You've mm. got two ears, one mouth. Mm -hmm. Use them accordingly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of politics is not what we see on television. It is actually the opportunity to listen mm -hmm. to people's problems, to empathize with them. And, uh, and, and they come up with and, a solution. Yeah. And, right. yeah, go to a win-win. And that's not how we think of it. And there are tactics that you can you can use for all of these things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, so as we think about the six CISO profiles, yeah. what are some of the leadership skills? Do they vary across those six profiles? Are there commonalities that you see in each of those profiles? I'm, I'm curious, kind of the, the skill I think, set. I think they're varying. You know, it's really interesting. When we were doing the research, I collaborated with my global colleague, Jeff Pollard, and uh, my colleague from Europe, Paul Mackay, on doing this. And we were debating and, you know, and I'm like, I started listing some uh, leadership skills. And I, I hate this because it sounds like I'm doing a personality test, a Cosmo personality mm. test. Uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's going to vary. Uh, again, if I look at myself, I put myself in the transformational size of bucket. I have certain skills that uh, would make me fantastic at that, such as a, a personality uh, that does love a challenge, that does love change, uh, that can push change through, that can communicate really well. Uh, I do not have uh, probably the skills to be uh, an operational size who can deal with the monotony of mm -hmm the day-to-day -day, I do not get excited about incidents I am not the person to be on your side if there's an emergency that is not my gig so you know I'm I'm aware of that so for as a leader you get to choose you know do I want this role where I'm going to need to deal with incidents if so who's going to be on my leadership team to uh, back up the shortcomings that I don't have yeah, so when you laid out the profiles, I assumed you identified some of these characteristics yes, and skill do. sets in there. Yeah, right. absolutely. Because I think it's a really good exercise yeah. for anybody who is or wants to be a CISO to yeah. actually go through and say, what kind of CISO am I? Yes. Based on this, I'm this kind, right? Yeah. And I think that benefits both people who want to get into the role, yes. but also people who are in the role who may realize that they're not in the right position because there's a mismatch of what the organization wants versus what they can provide. Exactly. And it's like a game of perfect match. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes well, you want to be you want to be a compliance guru. There are some skills that you may have to build up. Mm -hmm. You may have to build mm -hmm. up your regulatory uh, knowledge skills, whatever it is. Yeah, you can, you know, you can choose to either coach yourself in that or actually find the right fit for yourself. This may sound weird on the surface, but it, there are a lot of things coming together for me doing this show for some time. Yeah. And it reminds me of a book that we read a long time ago. I say we because a lot of our listeners all read it at the same time. Uh, the Brain Audit by Sean D'Souza. It's about sales. I, I think in this role, many of the qualities that uh, and kind of techniques that you would use in the sales process. And it sounds kind of shady, mm. but it's not. It's no. about understanding your customers or your coworkers' yep. needs, right? Yep. And convincing them of certain things. So Sean uh, has been on the show and he describes it as seven bags, right? If you go to the airport with seven bags, when you leave the air, whatever airport you're landing in, you're going to have all seven bags, right? And one of those bags, and these are all part of the sales process. One is understanding of the problem. You know, one is empathy. One is the risk reversal, right? Because yep. people don't want to 
commit to purchasing something, a board is not going to want to commit money. They're essentially buying mm. something unless you de-risk that investment for them, right? And yeah. there's, there's seven of them, right? That was just a, a small yeah. example. But now I kind of understand why, like Michael and, and others say in a leadership position, you have to understand that sales process. You, you absolutely. I mean, yeah, again, you're a leader. Like you've got to do, whether you call it sales, whether you call it politics, whether you call it communications, mm-hmm. marketing. Uh, back in 2010, I think I called it marketing. Mm-hmm. You've got a market security. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, in terms of the skills, it's evolved a little bit for me from what I see the industry in the last 10 years. I remember two th- it, around 2010 and I remember that time because it was a decade ago and it was uh, when I first joined Forrester for the first time. And the top challenge for SISOs at the time with 54% of SISOs struggling with was visibility and influence. Yeah. Mm. That back then was huge. We, we mm-hmm. were jumping up and down, if you remember to those days, to get the attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right now, uh, that number has dropped. It's not even in the top 10 challenge. It's like down at 19 or 20% or something. But is that because we were good at marketing or is that because really bad things have happened in cybersecurity? I think the latter, to be yeah. honest. Uh, but I do, think, I do think we evolved a little. So we started building that marketing, sales, communication mm-hmm. skills. Uh, around 2015, I started seeing the skills that are starting to be required in a SISO going in around negotiation skills. So we started mm-hmm. getting some serious attacks that were becoming very prominent. So the whole concept of negotiation skills and uh, in, in, in working with uh, or against adversaries and you know, it was that was just a different conversation altogether. That whole that negotiation thing. That explains why thing. Michael made me read "Never Split the Difference." By now, I can't think of his name. Chris Chris Vaughn, I believe. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. The book is yeah, really about yeah. empathy, right? Right. And negotiating and, and how empathy yeah. is really the main primary theme yeah. in that book. But there are a lot of that book is jam packed with really good knowledge. Yeah. So I think then it became negotiation. And then when I look back over the last couple of years and when I asked Sizos, hey, what's the number mm. one skill that you feel like you have? And it depends what region in the world, because mm-hmm. I think, yeah. you know, we're yeah. all at very different levels. Different of levels. Yeah, yeah. But right now, I think the number one skill that Sizos are talking about is personal resilience so uh, back to burnout Mm -hmm. uh, and the stresses that come with being a sizo and playing politics like at a very personal level how do you how do you survive this how do you how do you do it how do you wake up every morning uh, you know, you're not getting the funding that you need. You're losing people because someone else is paying them double. Mm. And if um, you have a security incident, you're and likely you have to a be security fired. Incident. Yeah. Like Which I don't agree with, by the way. I don't know where you fall on this issue. No. But if it's my well, company and we have a, a, a CISO and we get hacked, uh, that is battle experience <laughs> for my CISO. That's, I'm keeping that person, right? I mean, like, gross negligence aside, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, that you have to factor that in. But it, usually that's not the case, yeah. right? Yeah, scapegoat. It, exactly. Right. The, exactly. The CISOs are, yeah, and that's one of the many factors that's leading to uh, burnout and mm-hmm. exhaustion. And I think then the skill of personal resilience and you, working out the skills to de-stress yourself, to manage your stress level, maintain uh, work-life balance, and that of your team become absolutely crucial. Yeah. Those are all 
great tips and points. Um, Paul, any additional questions? No, it's awesome. They summarize a lot of the things we've talked about on the show over the years. So yeah, it's we really didn't talk about that. diversity, which is interesting in when we're talking about SISO leadership. And it, but so important for everyone in security absolutely. to be very diverse in their backgrounds, in their skill sets. And, you know, we, we see a lot of that too. And what it, we have to be very analytical, like when we're looking for pieces of malware when we're looking for the indicators of compromise right it's that creativity and people from different backgrounds that i believe really makes an effective security team so for especially for our industry i think it's even more important than some other industries i think when we're talking about size of leadership though and we're talking about uh resilience uh, i think one of the very important skills of leading people is uh being a great leader, uh, knowing how to manage people, knowing how to have a team basically traverse all the way from the board to the SOC analyst. Mm -hmm. And one of the many ways that we can do that, obviously, is via bringing in diversity to cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's been very interesting watching what's happening at RSA this year on yeah, that. Uh, well, I think it's a combination of not not only embracing diversity, it's also embracing culture. Absolutely. You have a lot of Absolutely. multinational companies uh, out there that have to deal with all the cultural differences. Yep. You have to be able to embrace all that to be successful yeah, in the role. Yeah, and bring it all together yeah. for the greater good. Mm -hmm. consistent way. Janan, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Thank you for having me. Thank it was you. a pleasure. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. And we'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.